Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast. It's great to have you with us today and we hope that as you listen, you'll be inspired as we continue on our shared quest together. This podcast is entirely free and yet it's not cheap to put together and wouldn't be possible without the generosity of our supporters. So if you consider yourself a supporter of Q, then please head to qyork.co.uk and hit donate to show your support today because there really is no Q without you. Thank you and enjoy today's message. Wow. Blame me for that mercy. Have there been some strange things that we've believed and said? Blame me for that mercy. Why would anybody be blamed for mercy? And <clears throat> excuse me, as we go on tonight, you're going to see that if we're not careful the way we think, forgiveness becomes an injustice because we can feel that if someone is forgiven and shown mercy for something that they deserve, then that forgiveness itself then becomes an injustice. Now, uh, it, it's a very funny subject, this, and I think Danny did really well in uh, setting it up for us tonight. And, um, you know, where I go with this for my little five minutes is, uh, is, is uh, interesting because I'm not really sure as I stand here. I'd like to look at my notes, but, uh, you know, I know I always do better without them, really, but I'll try. Um, the whole thing of justice is, most of us would say, we've never really had a grave and injustice committed against us but nearly every day of our lives we're dealing with it in some way the way we feel and it's usually attached to unfairness uh, I saw at the beginning something that has already you know really upset the apple cart great game but I'm not kidding you what went down in that was very very unhappy but that was the reason why we did it and you'd like to find a way of it not doing what it does <laughs> uh, and getting the point over but I saw something that was really wonderful because you could see this was very unfair at this side the laces were double the length they'd been given an unfair advantage but I saw something which was lovely was Connie turned to Riley and she started to help him put it into his mouth, right? Now, you see, justice, when we talk of restorative justice, is always working on behalf of someone, the vulnerable, the one that's the, the underneath, the one that's being treated in, in an unfair way. Because the idea is we're trying to restore, we're trying to help. And as I watched her trying to get it into his mouth, it's like, well, we can't do anything about these rules, but what we can do is try to make the thing as best we can. And you see, justice in the Bible terms of justice is first of all seeking out the vulnerable, but then it's also being an advocate on their behalf. Now, an advocate is a beautiful word, and I hope that me and you and especially at Q, can actually learn what it is to be an advocate. An advocate is somebody who works on behalf of. Now, most of the time, we are so stuck with our own injustices that we only want people to experience what we experience. Isn't that the truth? Come on, be honest. If we feel things have been unfair to us, then we want 
somebody else to, to experience the same. Now, I'm going to tell you something that happened in my life that made me never want that to happen to anybody ever again. It's because I was brought up in that way of, of uh, justice and judgments, which made me get to the point, instead of thinking, because this is what's being done to me, everybody else should be given the same, I swing the pendulum totally the other way now, much to the... Uh, what's the word, dismay of some, because I am saying, no, I don't want to put burdens on people that were put on me. I want to do my best to relieve them. Now, that's what being an advocate is. Now, just a little story. And I hope I don't take up too much time, but um, the, the, when I lived in Horden, which is up north, uh, a little mining uh, town where basically the only... Uh, employment was you went down what was called the pit, right? It wasn't called the mine, it was called the pit. Why? Because it was like a pit of hell. It was the pit. And that was the occupation for most of the men in that town. And what was really quite interesting was men who had all their lives worked down the pit, their children, especially the, obviously the boys, mostly the boys, which is, would be a sexist thing nowadays, but you know, the boys would be growing up and you'd say to them, and what are you going to do when you finish school? And it wasn't necessarily the boys who would say, but their dads would immediately say, he's coming down the pit with me. Right? And the boy would say, I'm going down the pit with me dad. Now why? Because there was a saying that if it was good enough for me, it's good enough for them. Now don't you think that that is a horrible way to live? Now, this is the difference between retributive justice and restorative justice. Because when we want justice, and most of us never even think of it this way, it's always tit for tat. But restorative justice always has it in the pit of your, your, oh, pit, pit of your being. You're saying, I want better. I want better for my family. I want better for my friends. Whatever was done for, to me, I don't want people to experience that. Now, one more thing before we move on. The problem with most of us is we want the, the law for other people, but we want mercy for ourselves. Now, what I loved about Javert, as much as I think, heck, you're a nutter, because he, he's been offered mercy and he's saying, no, no, punish me, punish me. I think, nutter, what's he doing? But at least he was willing to operate by the same rule that he was going on for everybody else for himself. Now, I'll give him great credit for that. And what you're going to see as this goes along, because we're going to show you a few clips, because it's very, very powerful, that even right at the very, very end, the law won't let him do anything other than demand a retributive justice. Now, one more thing. Uh, we have got our idea of justice really from, a, uh, from the wrong source. Our understanding of justice should be beautiful because it comes from a heavenly source. But have you ever heard the phrase, God is just? God is just. Well, that's what it means. God is just. He operates justly. But because of our warped understanding, we then have a bad view of God that says, ah, we were told as children, oh, well, if you commit one sin, it's as bad as a million sins. Oh, 
And then, of course, we have the rest of the story is that God punishes Jesus in your place when he hadn't done anything wrong, but you had. Is that just? Oh, and then, of course, that is what becomes the foundation of our justice system. Oh, aren't these interesting things to look at? So I just want to say this, and this is not a pat on the back. I'm not trying to be proud in any way. But I decided 15 years ago that I was not going to go down the path of what law demanded. I was going to say, let's judge by love and see what different results we get. Now, you think they'd be amazing. Oh, you think it'd be amazing. Actually, it never works out that way. Because most of the time, the more mercy you give, the more grace you give, the more freedom you give, it seems to make everybody just seem to take everything for granted. But that doesn't mean to say that that isn't the correct justice that we should pursue. So he said right at the end, forgiveness. He says, I command you to forgive yourself. You'll find that Javert couldn't. And some of you can't tonight. And you measure everything you do on the fact that you can't forgive yourself so anybody who you come in contact with, guess what they are not going to get? They're not going to get forgiveness because we can only give what we have received for ourselves and then operate in that. So that's my little two penneth. We'll move on. I think we're going to sing now. Okay. It's interesting that um, <clears throat> true justice carries an honour that law can never truly appreciate. But we have been um, manipulated in so much of our understanding and definition of things, and yet, just this evening, just this afternoon, and I was coming into church, um, it was interesting because I was on one of the narrow roads. I come down, and one side of the road was full of parked cars for 20 yards or so, and there was a car coming the other way. So what did I do? I give him the little flash, be my guest, please come. And then what did he fail to do? I'm like, where's the wave? Where's the wave? The wa we, we, all, we wave, it's customary, we wave. So I'm seething, so I pass the cars then still, he didn't wave. Get to the end of the street, it's blocked, so I let a guy out, which one would do, be my guest, and guess what happened? Twice, in one minute, no wave, no appreciation, injustice, that's why I try to get rid of hell as a concept, but sometimes I know the very people that would populate it. See. See, the point is, there are, there are very little things that most of us would never look on ourselves as being unjust in our thinking and in our appreciation of life, but it happens all the time, and something stirs inside, but because it doesn't involve perhaps murder or imprisonment, we excuse ourselves from the fact that we actually are very deeply and profoundly affected by what we perceive to be usually the justice that we deserve, which is usually to put honour upon what we have done rather than being just towards another, which, as we saw from Jean Valjean, usually is extremely costly to the person 
And that's what the justice of God is like, extremely costly to the person, but in some different ways than I think we were told. There's a great verse that is often used um, uh, by particularly people who are in the fight for social justice. Martin Luther King used to use this a great deal. It's in a book called Amos in the Bible. Now, what's interesting about Amos is Amos is termed a minor prophet. Now, the question is, is he a prophet or is he not a prophet? And if he's a prophet, how come you have decided he's a minor prophet? Not a prophet to coal miners but the minor, as in not as good, as a major prophet. So people like Isaiah, major prophet. People like Amos, minor prophet. Straight away, we have an injustice by an incorrect measurement that says that somehow the input of a little guy called Amos, who might not have been a little guy, but we think he's a little guy because they said he's minor, and the prophecies of major guys like Isaiah, who had plenty to say, and the problem is straight away you can find, even in biblical terminology for the books of the Bible, injustice, because I propose that if Amos is a prophet, is a prophet, don't call him a minor prophet, because if he knows you're calling him a minor prophet, all you're going to do is tick him off. Like the laces up here. What do I have to do to show? So, you see, there are so many subtle injustices that we, we sometimes, without conscious awareness, impose upon people and are imposed upon us that cause all kinds of difficulty. This is what Amos said, but let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. He, he, you ought to read the book of this guy because I don't think he's very minor. I actually think it's very major. And particularly chapter 5, which he wrote here, is absolutely fascinating. But he has this call for justice to roll like a river, get bigger and bigger and wider and wider until we become consumed by it. There's another interesting one from somebody who was called a major prophet, who I'm sure he's very pleased he was called a major prophet because that's kind of my major prophet trumps your minor prophetness. Uh, and this guy was named Isaiah. And uh, Isaiah said this about fasting. You know when you choose not to eat, but it's the same subject. He said, is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen, he's speaking for God, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? That's what ties you to the thing that binds you to what the problem is. To set the oppressed free and then to break every yoke, to break everything that would hold us in those bondages. Now, one of the reasons for our problem is that we struggle to think of justice without connecting it to the penal system of thinking. You understand the penal system? It's the court system that's based on a rule of law. But have you ever stopped to think that penalty is the action of penal? So whenever you judge anything penally, you automatically have to impose penalty. And if you're imposing penalty, the very system itself makes no room for forgiveness or grace or acceptance or release. It makes no room for it. But most of us think that way and then we term it, well, this is just just. This is what ought to happen. Justice always seems to be, in my view, inseparably connected with punishment. And that's part of my problem, that so often I've sat in church, and people sit in churches, and justice is inseparably connected with punishment. And so we ultimately finish up without 
many times intending to do it, promoting a mean divine being, a mean God, whose only means of feeling okay is to beat the hell out of somebody and beat the life out of somebody, which becomes Jesus' son. And you think, well, that would suggest that God has a lot of anger and the only way he can deal with his anger is to kill somebody. I have a different view of the cross. So bear in mind that forgiveness is unjust while ever justice is viewed through a penal mindset. So forgiveness actually is unjust. It is not just to forgive somebody by the mindset we have been raised with. Therefore, I propose to you that God's understanding of how he wishes to deal with humanity is not according to the penal model that we have been given, which allows him to forgive and that not be unjust. You say, well, why would forgiveness be unjust? Because you should get what you deserve. Isn't that how we were raised? You get what you deserve. But here comes a God who says, you won't get what you deserve. You'll get what I deserve, which is love and forgiveness and kindness. So forgiveness is the most incredible thing that will work for you in the context of justice if you let it happen. And when the person doesn't wave, if you can just for one moment bite your tongue, you may just be able to forgive them for that greatest of crimes. You see, at the root of the penal system is this one. You'll have heard of this. It is, it is, it is trans-religio conformed. I made that up. I thought it sounded really good. Transreligio conformed. By that I mean is that it has been absorbed into many aspects of many religions. And this is it. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, which you can read in the Bible. And it was never a system that would work. And we, we, we would take hours to explain why that wasn't God saying, you need to do this, because Jesus then comes along and says, you have heard it said, but I say unto you, right, forgive your enemies. An eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. So the great Mahatma Gandhi, who, who led the nonviolent resistance in India to attain independence from the British Empire. That's Gandhi and the slide was up there. He said, an eye for an eye will only make the old world blind. And I propose to you that if our sense of justice is that we want people to get what's coming to them, an eye for an eye will only ever make the whole world blind and we want to see. Jesus opened blind eyes. He didn't blind people's eyes. So we always tend to gravitate to somebody's got to pay or somebody's got to comply in our understanding of what we think is justice, but that's not God's sense of justice. So let me finish this section by saying this. If a sense of shared humanity does not form the root of our understanding of justice, then it will be driven by motives more sinister and more selfish than we would dare to admit. As you watch that clip, I think, I think some of us are just as bound as, as uh, Chavert was in his desperate attempt to try and make sense of his own life, how he had lived, what he had done, what had been done to him, um, how he behaved according to that, and then 
this, this sad thing that somehow unless, unless somebody died, unless somebody had a cruelty committed to them, that this thing could never be, could never be put right. And, and then we struggle. If, if, if the sacrifice of Jesus was God's anger and his anger brought that cruelty on Jesus, then the highest expression of love is cruelty. And if you think about that, that doesn't make sense, that the highest expression of love would be violence. But, but, but I know the way I was raised, I've had to really look at this, is that if the highest expression of love was God violently killing his son, then the highest expression of love is violence, and we know the highest expression of love is not violence. Therefore, something greater, something more beautiful, something more forgiving, something that absorbs something else of the humankind that allows us to be different people rather than just have a fire escape from hell is being worked in that beauty that's there. You see, I would propose to you that justice is not something that you get. Justice is something that you do. And we've become obsessed in our culture with getting justice. Did you get justice for that? And we've somehow lost in there the question, did you do justice about that? Did you do justice to the waitress who served you in the restaurant at lunch? Did you do justice to the kid who got in a scuffle with your kid at school or the teacher that kept them for detention? Not did you get justice, did you do justice? And it's hard because we are so wired that somebody needs to pay. And, and, And I appreciate the deeper the pain, the deeper the wound, the greater the loss, the more our tendency to feel somebody needs to pay. And in this, I am not discounting uh, the whole issue of consequence for behaviour. What I'm trying to do is not, is not say there should not be consequence for behaviour, but to free the heart that becomes so tied, yoked into that with the oppression that says, even if that situation is resolved, I still can't be at peace. How many times have you got what you want in terms of justice and you still hate yourself just as much And you're still just as unhappy and just as unsettled because getting justice does not bring peace to the human heart. But if I agree with what Isaiah says, doing justice breaks the yoke of oppression. Actually, what I need to do is not get something, but to do something. That's why Jesus said, if you love as I have loved you, love your neighbor as yourself, do justice and something will happen. Within you. It's interesting, we haven't got a lot of time left, but, but just the word just had nothing to do with what we now know as the justice system. It was nothing to do with courts and judges and penal code. Just was to do with weights and measures. That's where the word just comes from, weights and measures. You weren't supposed to cheat in what you gave to someone that they should receive. You were supposed to have just weights and just measures. So justice is about weighing and measuring. We appreciate that, but not from a penal code. It's about weighing so that you can give the person righteously and rightfully something that is of benefit to them. It's an everyday challenge in our lives. I appreciate that. 
And the question is, what do we do with it? Can we own our own tendency to injustice, which is usually retributive justice, because people like me still get mad when Joe comes up the road and I've let him in and he doesn't wave, you see, because in me deep down is this need for retributive justice that I try to suppress, but it still pops its head up instead of restorative justice. I probably should have given him a wave, but not a sarcastic wave like, ah, gee, thank you, it would have been nice. How many of you have returned something sarcastically? You know, a thank you would be nice. Come on, you've done it. You know I'm talking about a thank you would be nice. He's not actually giving restorative justice to somebody. You're retributing saying, damn you. (laughs) What's also sad is that freed people often become the oppressor. That's really sad. And if you look at history, if you look at, 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 at social development, you find often that the freed people become the oppressors. That's why God said to Israel, when you're no longer the oppressed people in captivity, be careful that you don't treat the people that you meet, aliens and strangers in the land, the way that you were treated. Treat them how you would have liked to have been treated and with the grace that has touched you. I I love that thing that came up. Pursuing the wrong kind of justice makes everyone miserable. That's why there's a lot of misery around... So some of you are miserable 90% of the time, and probably me, because pursuing the wrong kind of justice makes everybody miserable. That's the kind that says, I'm okay with forgiveness as long as they get punished. Let me just make a couple of statements to finish. Restorative justice says, I will not deliver upon you what you have delivered upon me. That's the God kind of justice. Do you you remember the story of of the crucifixion and and, and Jesus there having been cruelly tortured and beaten and hung on this torture mechanism of the Romans called a cross and he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Uh, The question is, was that an overly generous assessment of what in essence was an evil act. I think Jesus was being really generous. Forgive them, they know not what they do. After they've just stuck nails in his hands and feet, hoisted him upon a cross, and were about to stick a spear in his side. But is that how restorative justice sees the perpetrator? Is that the key? Do you have to see the perpetrator against you as forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing? That you appreciate that you don't know what happened to that person as a child. You don't know what happened in that person's marriage. You don't know the kid that they lost. You don't know the pain that they've suffered. You don't know the anxiety and the anguish and how they've had to figure out their life. And if we would see people that everyone has a story, we like Jesus would say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This will work itself out. But my heart is set this way. I believe that's how God sees us. He looks at me and says, forgive him. He doesn't really know what he's doing half the time, and that would be true, I don't. But I'm glad for the forgiveness. Okay, so let me me cut some of that out. In a world of perverted justice, forgiveness is injustice. And yet the Bible calls that grace. Grace is the greatest act of injustice that the world can ever experience. And I want grace, and I want you to have grace, but you can't have grace and justice of the penal kind. You have to have the injustice of grace 
that says I forgive. Now I've got a little statement to make about that to finish them and offer you a prayer. Javert, he said, it's a pity the rules don't... Oh, um, yeah, um, it's a pity... Was it, was it Jean Valjean who... No, it was Javert who said, it's a pity the rules don't allow me to be merciful. And some of you are so bound in stinking rules and some of your religious rule and religious law and you feel ashamed of yourself because the rules don't allow you to be merciful. So you think, oh, this is wrong. I have to hide it. I have to keep it. I have to cover it. Because the rules, the law, doesn't allow me to be merciful. And you're absolutely right. The, rule, the law doesn't allow you to be merciful. Rules don't allow you to be merciful, which is why Jesus said, I didn't came to, 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 to push the law. I came to get rid of the law so that you would know that you could be merciful to yourself and be merciful to others. Javert said, you, punish, if you must punish me or my life will be meaningless. I think I can be a little bit like that, not in terms of, you know, <laughs> but mentally and emotionally, I, I can take things hard in a way that says you must punish me or my life will be meaningless. I ought to be punished for this, this decision, letting that happen, doing this. And of course, it comes from a distorted understanding of we're trying to be just. And actually, there is a, there is a, a, a deception of a kind of morality in there that's saying, oh, you know, if I punish myself, it's not true. And so here's, here's what I wanted to say, because I wanted us to sing the last song. I don't want to take the time where we don't do that. When mercy, this is a saying, when mercy floods a thirsty soul, grace returns what guilt has stolen. I love the way poets can just make up words so that it rhymes. When mercy floods a thirsty soul, grace returns what guilt has stolen. My question to you is, what are you thirsty for? Are you still thirsty that somebody gets their comeuppance? Are you still thirsty that somebody pays for what happens? Or are you thirsty for a mercy that will just break the yoke, untie the bonds, bring you the justice that actually you deserve because God says you deserve justice. You are oppressed by life. You deserve justice. God is for you and not against you and he's wanting to get rid of everything that points its finger at you and accuses you by saying, listen, that finger I moved away because by what I did on the cross, forgive them, they know what the, not what they do. If you can catch that attitude where mercy flows. What was the saying? Let me get that because I'm... Where mercy floods the thirsty soul, grace returns what guilt has stolen. I want you to have returned to you what guilt has stolen, but it's mercy that does that. And I stand for the God that I know is, is merciful and kind and gracious, and the highest act that he has ever permitted is not violence. The highest act that he has ever committed is to absorb our weaknesses into himself so that we could understand that something sponged that stuff so that we could go free and we could have a resurrection. So I'd like you to find mercy for yourself tonight. I'd like you to find forgiveness for yourself because if you don't do that, you'll never find it for anybody else. But you can find it because you've been given it and it's yours. So I just want to pray. If you want to receive that, just open your heart and just agree with this prayer with me. Father, let, let justice flow like a river and righteousness like a mighty flood. But the justice that comes from you 
that is full of injustice because it's called grace, that does not reward us according to what we deserve or treats us according to how we've behaved, but brings loving kindness and tender mercy so that we're no longer yoked to the things that have held us bondage, which was our own sense of justice and injustice because we didn't see it through your loving, merciful eyes. And so let us receive mercy tonight, Father. I pray every heart will find that place of mercy so that grace will come alive. We can look at ourselves in the mirror and we can look at others in life and we can look at you and know that all is well and we're at peace and you're good and we're good and life is good and that we have been judged worthy and we have been judged righteous by the one who truly understands the weights and the measures that can say to us, you are just, and you are justified, and this is my justice to you. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. If you've been inspired by what you've heard today, then why not email us at info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. We love that you're listening to us and we'd love to hear from you too. Did you know you can also watch all of the talks from Q on our YouTube channel? Just go to youtube.com forward slash qchurchyork. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Until then, enjoy the quest.